I promise conversations you don't get many other places. This is the beginning of that trend. If the morning wasn't unique and special enough, uh, just wait. So uh, I'll turn the floor over to our good friend, David Kirkpatrick. David, take it away. Give us the future of VR. Hi, everybody. I'm David Kirkpatrick. Um, I'm a journalist, about, and I have a company called Techonomy, and I, I, I love moderating, and I love this conference, and I was congratulating Rob of walking down the stairs before on how good so many sessions have been, and it's an honor to be doing another one. And, and this is a session on a topic that, to be frank, I was a little skeptical about when um, Rob asked me to do it because, uh, like Julian, I'm a journalist. I've been covering this stuff for decades, as he has. As you'll hear in a second, I'll introduce these guys. But, um, you know, VR and AR has waxed and waned so much that it's easy to be cynical about it. But, but hopefully you won't be as cynical after this conversation. Uh, because I think you'll see there is so much still to say about what is really possible with what I think all four of us would agree is inevitably the next stage of interfaces for interactive digital computing uh, at some point. It's a matter of does that next stage happen in a year, in five years? Probably yes. Ten years? Maybe. Certainly something more dramatic than we, this is, this is one thing I would say. We're not all going to be having bad posture staring at rectangles of glass forever. <laughs> it is often thought to be the case that we are. Uh, but I think all of you would probably recognize interfaces change, computing changes, and it, this, however popular it has become and transformative on the planet, it's not the end point. So this is related to where it may go next. So let me introduce uh, our panelists. Rosario Casas is a Colombian living in New York who is a longtime uh, business person, uh, investor, uh, entrepreneur, who, because of work she was doing in Colombia with various forms of industrial um, inve inve investment, discovered there was a problem, if I could just summarize, uh, with training of workers and got really excited about the potential of VR tools to train people for things like utility work and is now basically building applications to help specifically utility workers, uh, which she told me 80% of American utility workers will retire within the next 10 years, like the line people that fix the lines when they fall down after the most recent hurricane, which is too common. Um, Next to her, uh, Julian DeBell is, like I said, a former journalist. He's now a lawyer after covering um, technology for Wired for 20-some years. Yeah. He went back to school at, to become a lawyer, and he's now a technology lawyer, which is pretty unusual and, and, and honorable and impressive. <laughs> uh, but I can, as a journalist, I can see how that might happen. Um, <laughs> then uh, Sam Glassenberg is uh, a, a longtime game expert who comes from a family of doctors to the point that he was always sort of shamed in his family for not being a doctor. <laughs> and, and, but he was at Microsoft, he's been at all kinds of, of, of companies, uh, 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 what's, LucasArts, uh, as he initially, well, he'll tell a little story how he got into it, but um, sure. he is now running a company called Level X, which is using uh, simulation and increasingly VR to train medical professionals on sophisticated procedures. So in a way, uh, what Sam and Rosario are doing is very related. They're both using technology to help people learn to do complicated things more rapidly using VR. 
Um, but I think all four of us, what I hope the conversation will do is, is not get too bogged down in specific applications, but to look at this whole thing as a, as a possible transformative trend and to contextualize it. Um, and maybe, Julian, if you could start, because you've been following this more closely than me because it was clearly a specialty area for you for many years. I've just dabbled in it myself. Why do you think, where do you see VR and AR right now in the history of computing, quickly? Well, well so I covered the waterfront in terms of technology, focused mainly on the internet across, you know, from the early 90s up until 2011 or so. Um, VR, I think, has a special place in all that, even though it's always been kind of a niche thing, um, that I, I, I think maybe I can illustrate by one of, the, one of the first stories I covered in the early 90s was this event called Cyberthon, um, which was this kind of 24-hour conference slash technology festival slash be-in that the cyber hippie folks out in the Bay Area, uh, some of the old Whole Earth Catalog people like Stuart Brand and um, uh, Kevin Kelly and Jaron, uh, John Perry Barlow, who'd been a lyricist for the Grateful Dead. Love those up. guys, by the way. I love all those guys. Yeah, yeah. You gotta They're, love them. They yeah. gotta love them. Um, and they cooked this up when, when word started getting out about this gadget that a guy named Jaron Lanier was um, working on. Um, it was virtual reality, like it was a headset you this put This is on. in 91. This is 91, yeah. yeah. Um, and to understand like how explosive that was, that that rumor even, um, you know, you got to understand where we were. We were just we were having bulletin boards. Some people were getting on the internet, but we were getting this idea of how our lives could be moving into this world that was transformed by digital technology. We'd been prepped by like uh, for a couple of years, science fiction writers like Neil Stevenson had been writing about the metaverse. Uh, William Gibson writing about cyberspace. We were all like ready for this and here it is, this moment where this world we can kind of feel ourselves moving towards has a portal now. We can like, you know, jack in, go in, be there, actually feel it, live it in the way that we feel like we should be living it, right? So it's this like, okay, yes, we gotta know about this and we're all gonna hang out. And so I go out there, it's in San Francisco, There's um, you know, William Gibson is on stage, Jaron Lanier is up there pr talking about how, uh, you know, VR is going to usher in a new era of post-verbal communication, post-linguistic language, I think was his actual completely... He's good with the word. Yeah, he was great. <laughs> uh, people were in the parking lot taking DMT and other exotic psychedelics just to get, you know, <laughs> oh in, the, in the vibe. Wow, um, just like twin. Yeah. Just like yeah, just like twin. Um, <laughs> Sam, Sam, you know what he's talking about. Um, and then, and then the highlight was you got to go like you. They could only demo the VR for like three people at a time, and it was down in Mountain View. They couldn't even move it to San Francisco because it was this huge. It was attached to a huge pile of iron. Um, and you got in this shuttle that went down to Mountain View and you were ushered into the room and you got to put this 
big helmet on and there was a glove, you know. And you could see a few octagons. And there were octagons and, stuff, and right? yeah. you know, yeah. squids with hats on, you know, okay. made, they made it sort of surreal. Okay, thing. well, we, we got to move to the present. So quickly, point, having had that experience. It was like, and then it was like, yeah, okay, that was cool, but where's the post-linguistic language and all that stuff? Uh, and VPL fa failed a few months later. That was his company, that was, yeah. yeah. Um, and we moved on to other things that were much more exciting and, and you know, so, but, but my point is, this is always gonna be a, a, a technology that recurs in the context of hype, just because it is such a crystallization of everything that's exciting about digital technology. Yeah, well, that's a good summary. Okay, Sam, I, I'm like, I'm gonna get to Rosaria because she's really feet on the ground with doing this stuff now. And you're, you're doing interactive, but VR is not your primary thing, right? Correct. But, but you've been in the gaming business all these years. Kind of respond to what Julian said and talk about your perspective on how important is VR and AR in technology, just to, to put it broadly. Look, I mean, I think to, you sort of mentioned the hype curve, right? And, you know, this cycle that it feels like VR and AR are constantly in this sort of hype cycle. But I think if you take a step back and you look at the sort of the curve of technology, right, it bends towards real, towards increased realism, towards better human-computer interaction uh, paradigms. Ultimately, right, this stuff is going to become pervasive. It's going to become lightweight. You know, you're not going to be strapping a brick to your head anymore. You're going to be putting on a pair of glasses, right? I think if we just, if we look past the, you know, all right, so Oculus made an announcement yesterday. Oh, they made kind of a middle ground new headset. If you look past that, right, and you look at the five to 10 year horizon and you follow Moore's law and you follow the trends that we're seeing in miniaturization and optics technologies and everything else, you're going to be able to put on a pair of glasses and have a VR experience, have an AR experience, walk around, ride your bike, have Google Maps projected down the street, right? These are things that are going to change. I mean, obviously the entertainment industry, we're gonna jump on this stuff first, we always do. Um, but I think this is going to have some broad impact on the way people learn and the way people explore. And, and So let me ask you this. Do you take it as a given that in some sense, the successor interface to this is going to be some kind of version of AR, VR, something or other? Definitely AR, yeah, AR. there's no question. Like this, And is, it will be is, probably with glasses? Yeah, I mean, we, we had a discussion earlier about brain-computer interfaces, but to date, there's really nothing that doesn't involve shoving a chip in your head. And um, that's a, I'd like to think that's a high bar. Uh, no, no, but so. as I was mentioning, I was mentioning on the prep yeah. conversation, which you were not part of, yes. there is a new technology that is being explored in several places, notably by Mary Lou Jepsen, which basically uses uh, uh, LED lights into your brain and can detect brain, uh, brain cell oxygenation and basically tell when brain cells are firing yep. and can basically pattern match what's happening in your brain to databases of previous brain activity and begin to really see what's happening in your brain. Now, that's not visual, but it, she believes firmly in brain-to-brain -brain communication is not that far down the road, and she will be at Techonomy demonstrating the early version of this on her dog in November. But anyway, have you, okay. well, hold on a second. Have you, have you tried that headset? No, it's not really commercial. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I think like but the <coughs> idea is the technology exists that you could envision maybe working. Well, okay, so I'm big into like you observe the trends, yeah. right? So I can tell you based on the last few decades, you know, what a VR or AR headset might look like in the next 10 years based on what we already see as trends. Yeah. What I will tell you is like, 
being able to actually go into the brain and communicate with it, oh, those trends are amazing. You're going to be able to augment your memory and have you know, Google as your extended memory is be fantastic. Um, in terms of being able to get into the brain from the outside, we're really not sure what you're going to even be able to achieve there. I've tried on a dozen of these headsets. And, uh, and, and, and to go to Julian's point about the rhetoric over the years, I remember interviewing Ray Kurzweil in probably 98, where he basically asserted that we would all have basically micro devices implanted at each brain cell in our brains somehow. I don't know how he thought it would happen. It was going to be nanotech. But I remember, it was a nano <laughs> thing. It was like through your bloodstream, they'd all get aligned. And I remember talking to a guy who was a you know, pretty serious expert on electromagnetic fields. And he said, the electromagnetic implications of that would make it completely deadly and, and, and that wouldn't work. But you know, the point is these visions from credible sources, Ray Kurzweil is moderately credible, have been out there for a long time. <laughs> so anyway, Rosario, your, your feet really are on the ground. This, it is true, you were telling me about yesterday, Oculus announced a $350 headset with no tethering to a PC, which is a big breakthrough, that is, you said, better than the one they were selling two years ago that was tethered to a PC, which yeah. was $2,000. So clearly progress is happening very quickly. Talk about how you see the landscape, the commercial landscape for potential here. Well, I really think that uh, virtual reality and augmented reality will be like the place where, where analytics will be, is a visualization tool for analytics, for data. And uh, if you see the world, how we see and how we understand in a natural way, we see 360. And VR and AR are really digital expressions of 360 content. Then if we can mix both things in a correct way, we can, uh, for example, in the training thing, we can use video game techniques to track exactly my movement, learning to do something, and uh, I can improve the processes itself. That's, that's one of the things. I really think there are many, many areas of uh, where, where still mobile will be the game and the play for, for a long term. Uh, what, what, what will be? The mobile. Will be, oh, will, mobile, will yeah. be still, yes, will be still the, the, the tool because it's easy because everybody has one and uh, augmented reality is that the reason why augmented reality is having more users, because it's easier than having the headset. But, uh, but the way we are creating the content in VR also is really interesting for many other industries. Then, then I don't think VR will be behind. I really think uh, the things should evolve in a way that both of those will be mixing in uses where like what we are doing is uh, training isolated in VR and then moving to a field with AR in a way that you can create a, a, an attribution loop between both of them. Mm. Talk about how effective you're finding it to be in the utility industry, just to be specific. Oh, well, the training is, uh, is more effective because you are learning by doing. You are not learning by flat content. You are, it's a simulation. Then it increases uh, the, the time of training, uh, I mean, it makes it shorter. And of course, you are not having the risk of learning it in the field. Learning how to energize a power plant in the field is, is, a, is a thing. Uh, but if you are training at your place, wherever it is, and, and also the HR team can, or, and the operations guys, 
could follow how you are really learning and how is your way to learn. You can start taking data from there and extrapolating that for the operations. Then if the, if, if the industries are moving very quick, let's take the most simple uh, or more, the, the, the garbage truck we were talking today. The guy who is driving today a garbage truck is not sophisticated in the, the training, but he will be driving a computer very soon. <coughs> and he will be driving another thing. Then how are we training that people in a scalable way that we can learn from that and that way the companies will think that is, or will feel that is worth it to invest in that training? Then how we can convert that loop of training the bottom of the pyramid that is massive is what makes or not the cities sustainable, livable. So in other words, bringing more workers along with the, as the economy changes, you don't see any other way to do it with this. Yes, I don't see it. So Sam, you're doing something very related. Uh, talk about how effective what you're doing with medical education is and, and how maybe it would be even more effective with, with immersive. Well, yeah, I think that, so one, we talked about this yesterday in Doctor of the Future. Um, the healthcare industry and medical training is still a few decades behind where we are in the video game industry. And that's before you strap a brick to your head just in terms of the, uh, the graphical fidelity and also the neuroscience of really understanding how to engage an audience and how to change their behavior, right? Um, what we're finding, you know, we've brought hundreds of thousands of doctors, you know, play our games on mobile. We've tens of thousands have done AR experiences. Um, we have, you know, and then a few thousand have done, have done VR experiences. Ultimately, you know, the way doctors learn today, especially when they're in practice, there's a new device or there's a new procedure, right? The way you do it is on live patients, right? There is no other, you know, there is no other way to do it, right? Especially, you know, we, I don't mean to get gross, but like cadavers can't bleed and can't present difficult, interesting scenarios, right? Or, you know, rare or complex scenarios that you might only encounter once in 200 surgeries, right? <laughs> so the only way to do that is with technology and the technology, we have that technology in the games business, doesn't exist in healthcare. We've got to close that gap. Well, you know, you demoed for me backstage on your phone, uh, an app, I mean, you, these apps are, what he's doing now, you can, what was that? What, who was, what specialty was that for? That was gastroenterology, that was for a colonoscopy. What was that, an intestine? That's the best. That was an intestine? That was a large intestine. Okay, yes. he went into the large intestine, <laughs> and let me just tell you, I said to him, we should have probably had it on that, it looks like you're inside an intestine. Oh, yeah. You can pick where your suture goes, and it bleeds there as if it was real blood, and it looks incredibly accurate, and you can do anything, and whatever you do accurately is reflected in the video image as if it was really happening. That has got to be a breakthrough from a training point of view. Yeah, and that's still on a flat screen. It's, and it's on a phone, yeah. We have a lot of meetings with, doc, with you know, doctors and folks where they're like, I had no idea such a thing existed or was possible, and I still don't believe it's running on a phone. That thing that drops my calls all the time can like recreate a virtual mm. patient. I, you know, so anyway, there's a big like, there's a lot of pretty interesting technology the games industry has gotten into these phones over the last decade. Um, people aren't really even, we're only scratching the surface on what we can do with this stuff outside of Real quick, I want to go to Julian, but, but are there a lot of other gaming prof experts who are moving to other industries applying the gaming methodologies and mindset to things like this? Um, or are you unique? No, well, so in, in healthcare, not nearly enough, 
I think we're pretty much it. Um, I mean, there are some programs, I should, should take it back, there are some programs to try to use game neuroscience to change consumer behavior, right? Compliance. That's a different thing. Like yeah. a different thing. Mm. There are other areas like how do we use, oh my gosh, you know, every, every people start realizing every seven-year-old in the country can name 100 Pokemon characters but can't name five U.S. <laughs> presidents. Like, whoa. And then how did they do that? Maybe we could learn something. And, and, um, that is not, a, that should not be funny. That is a serious 100%, question. 100%, look, case in point, so we'll use AR. This is kind of a loose AR example, but whatever, right? So last administration spent close to eight years, uh, several billion dollars. Michelle Obama took this on as her personal mission to try to stem you know, the obesity epidemic, get Americans, just get them off the couch. And again, just go for a walk. Right, and within 48 hours, a single video game got 40 million Americans. It's out like Pokemon and Go, what, exactly. Yeah. I don't know what the situation was. Where in downtown Chicago was a zombie apocalypse for two weeks. Yeah. Right. Literally, and almost half the players are over the age of 35. Right. Yeah. So what is this? We kind of think of this weird cultural phenomenon, but that's all video games are doing. This. Okay. Right? Good. We're changing well, behavior at scale. Julian, what, thoughts on any of this? Well, yeah. I mean, this, the example of the 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 app on the phone that's like training these doctors in ways that you know are is is well beyond you know what you can do with a cadaver is a good example i mean and and, and raises a question that's bugged me since the beginning uh, soon after you know the cyberthon thing um, i discovered um, a technology called called muds right which is some people may remember wow. these these were like graphical multi-user multi-user dimensions is what yeah and and these were textual virtual worlds you would you know if you've done if you played the adventure you log in you type you know uh, go north this and is 15 years ago. Right. Yeah. This was oh, this 25 is 20 years. years. This is like, well, been they continued for, for a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. Give the games there's, industry some credit. They're yeah. still out there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I definitely um, don't, but <laughs> And the interesting thing was discovering that and, and discovering some of the communities that had arisen in, in these online spaces that were just, they, they mapped physical places. And you could move by saying, I go here, I go here. You'd say, look at this person. You would see like whatever description they'd given themselves. And immediately I felt this is so much richer an experience than what I experienced in Jaron Lanier's lab, a, a richer sense of immersion. Even though it was on a flat, that was just on right. a PC or whatever. Yeah. Right, and yet, so I see, obviously, for the purposes of things like training, if you can get people to experience the procedurality of what they're doing, and computers are great for this, um, you know, you go here, this happens, you go there, that happens. What are we adding beyond you know, what we've had since, you know, 1985, you could do that, you could, you could put it on, you can, now you can put it on a phone. What are we adding when we put on the headset, when we, you know, when we jack into the optic nerve someday, you know, 15 years from now? Why does it matter? Why does this excess of, of realism, so-called, matter when what you really want to get at is the procedural feeling of, in a, of a process. This, I mean, I'm not, I'm not I trying to I think both of your co-panelists have thoughts. Go <laughs> yeah. ahead. We're going to get some disagreement on this panel. <laughs> get some. Okay. Oh. So I say, no, it's a suspension of disbelief, right? It's like ultimately, right, the dream is to be able to recreate, you know, if, you know, I, my last company did video games for Hollywood movies, right? And so, you know, there, 
right? You know, you have an incredibly talented director or author, you know, Suzanne Collins, author of The Hunger Games, has this whole universe in her head, right? And this becomes a much more compelling and engaging, well, I didn't use the word engaging. Let's say it's a far more, it's a much easier way to create that emotional attachment and that immersion in the world, right? So yes, you could just read the book. That's one way to do it, and your imagination gets to work, right? But then you can watch the movie. Then you can actually interact with it in an interactive way and participate as an active participant in an interactive universe. And then you can put a headset on, right, and actually wander around, and all of your senses, which is, you know, where you're getting all of your, you know, all your input, right, is now part of that emotional experience. And so it just, you know, it just, it moves along the curve. Yes, of course, you get all this from reading a book, right, but ultimately, right, there is some, you know, you are able to increase the level of, you know, emotional attachment to that universe exploration. You can create a more compelling experience. Rosario. But I also think something is not, is not just that. Is technology for what? Is not, you know, is is not just experience of feeling better, doing better, but for what? It depends. That's why my bet is industrial use, massive training, because when you are having a th that experience that could be better than others before, uh, as it is a three D real movement and so forth. Uh, with internet of things, you know, the equipment, machinery, whatever, I can start creating value for the companies, but also for the people who is working there. Hmm. Then it's not just the experience per se, it's the technology for improving the world and the, and the, the industries, the other industries. So not to so mention helping people stay employed at a time of extraordinary sure. change in the work. You know, and the company is adding value, look, this using this for value generation. Yeah, look, and this is all I mean, certainly very gratifying <coughs> and, and meaningful. Right now we're making games to help doctors you know, treat patients better, right? That being said, that, that, that doesn't mean that it's not meaningful and fulfilling to help an artist, right, you know, exp mm -hmm. like, who has a beautiful vision of some universe they want to create, enable them to create that. Or, you know, and it creating a new storytelling medium, yes, right? Sure. I mean, this is, you know, human you know, human endeavor, right? How can we enable people to tell better stories and share them with a broader audience in a more interactive you know, and compelling unfortunately, way? Unfortunately, the time clock shows we are out of time. But <laughs> one of the things that, that's <laughs> interesting, Julian and I were discussing before, you know, um, video calling. You know, you, you really realize we've had all this rhetoric over decades about VR, right? When it actually becomes transformative, we may not even notice it. Because, you know, we were talking about how, you know, VR, video calling was such an amazing possibility for years, and now we just get on and we goddamn an do a stupid FaceTime and we barely <laughs> think about it, right? It's an and it's not even, doesn't feel that transformative. It's just part of the landscape that we live in. So probably this stuff will just get sucked into other stuff, even in ways we can't predict now, right? Sure. Yes. And, and, but do you all three agree that in some fashion, some form of in immersive interface is the future? Completely. Period? It's part of it. Definitely. A future. Uh, can I? Okay. A future. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and, but you think it's Yes, new. yes. All right. I think so. Well, wish we had more time. But thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was fun. Thank you again. <laughs>